so essentially, I'm going to say, I'm going to be talking about what is bioenergy, giving you an introduction to that. So I'm not sure who's on the call, so I'm going to try and cover all the bases. Uh, I'm going to talk about bioenergy as a low carbon renewable energy option. Uh, I'm going to give some context from a UK perspective. Uh, so what is bioenergy in the UK? Uh, some of the things I work on, how much biomass can the UK produce? How much of what forms of bioenergy can the UK generate? And at the end, I'm going to summarize it up and bring it back to transport, focusing on biofuels and the potential of decarbonizing transports. But I think some of these are, these issues have already been covered in the nice introduction. So basically, my name is Andrew Walfall, a research fellow at the University of Manchester. Uh, I have a background in environmental and engineering topics. Uh, I spent a while working in an engineering consultancy, working in sustainability and energy buildings. Uh, I now work in the Central Centre for Climate Change Research at the University of Manchester, where much of my work comes under the umbrella of Supergen Bioenergy Hub. Uh, and over the years, I've worked with the likes of DEC, Bayes, the Department for Transport, Community and Climate Change, Renewable Energy Association, and the Low Carbon Vehicle Partnership, uh, working on issues around biofuels, climate change, sustainability, and bioenergy. Uh, my research focus at Manchester is very much around biomass resources and modelling of those, how much resources are available. Uh, I look at supply chains, I look at what could be optimised in terms of resources and how could they be used in a sustainable way. Uh, I look at bioenergy emissions and sustainability of bioenergy. I look at energy scenarios and how bioenergy can be linked into that, how it can be used in conjunction with other technologies to add to the UK's energy mix. Uh, I've also started doing quite a lot of work on biofuels for transport. Uh, and a little side note on that point is we have some PhDs coming up, PhD positions from Manchester, if you look out for them, on um, biofuels for shipping and biofuels for aviation. So this is an, an area that Tyndall Centre and Supergen are focusing on quite hard to develop. Uh, our expertise. So basically what I'm going to produce today is kind of uh, seen through the lens of what I do. So very resource, sustainability, emissions uh, type stuff. Uh, let's jump straight into it. So I've kind of covered this already. So I work at the Tyndall Centre in Manchester, but Tyndall Centre is based in several universities across the UK. Uh, we do lots of stuff related, elements aviation, shipping, specs, carbon accounting, etc. So anything climate change related, we seem to do it at Tyndall Centre from a research perspective. It's quite a dynamic and nice place to work. Uh, so come and say hello if you ever see us somewhere. And the Supergen Bio Energy Hub is basically my prominent research network for the research I do. The Supergen being basically the UK's prominent network that brings together academia, industry, government, and different societal st stakeholders to help develop a sustainable UK bioenergy sector. Uh, we want to make bioenergy affordable, resilient, low carbon, and basically become the future of UK energy. And um, the way the current Supergen network is structured, uh, we kind of go through a stepwise process. So we have a group led by Aberystwyth University looking at resources, how much biomass resources are in the UK, and how can we optimise those resources. Uh, we have teams working out of Imperial College, Aston University, and the University of Manchester, looking at different technologies of what can we do to those resources to generate different types of products and energy. Uh, there's a team led out of the University of Bath looking at vectors, which basically matches up um, what can we can do with bioenergy with the UK's demands from an energy and product perspective. And much of the work I do is in uh, team TG4, which is systems, which kind of cuts across all these different sectors, looking at what is the greenhouse gas performance of each of these steps, what is it sustainable, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm sat in quite a good position with the Supergen to, to kind of learn what everyone's doing uh, yeah, so that's super gem. Uh, likewise, if you see us at any events, come and say hello. We like to talk to people. Uh, so if we go right back to the beginning now, so what is bioenergy? If I was sat in a lecture theatre in Manchester now talking to students, I'd ask everybody, what, who, who, what's bioenergy, what's biomass? And it's amazing how many people don't know the difference because they don't know what they are. So let's start at the beginning, introduction to bioenergy. So it all comes down to energy from the sun, and carbon from the atmosphere. Uh, photosynthesis converts solar energy, water and CO2 into biomass or plant material. And that's the magical photosynthesis equation there. Uh, so basically CO2, the prominent or a prominent greenhouse gas, is transferred from the atmosphere where it contributes to climate change and is fixed within biomass material or plant where it's fixed for the time being. These biomass materials or plants may then be used as feedstocks of bioenergy processes. So that's kind of the underlying feature of bioenergy. 
which I'm going to delve into a bit more in this presentation. So I thought I'd start with some nice pretty pictures to put things into context or to basically demonstrate the wide range of substances and materials that are bioenergy or biomass, sorry, and what can be used to generate bioenergy. So we have lignocellulosic wastes, residues and biodegradable materials. Lignocellulosic, basically a fancy word for saying woody type material. So top left there, you've got, looks like you've got forestry residues, very much woody type stuff that you might, might link naturally with bioenergy. Uh, top right, it looks like you've got wood waste there for some kind of industrial process. These are all potential opportunities for the bioenergy sector to make energy. Bottom left, it looks like some kind of waste from an agricultural process, some kind of um, organic material. Again, something attractive for bioenergy can be used to generate all sorts of bioenergy. On the bottom right, uh, we have rice straw, something my colleagues at Manchester have been working on quite a lot lately, basically taking residues from agricultural processes uh, not the food part of the process, but the stuff that's normally either burnt or discarded. All these make great resources potentially for bioenergy. The next category of resources uh, demonstrated by these 50 pictures are the crops, like starch crops, oil crops, sugar crops. So you've got grain type materials at the top right. Uh, you've got oilseed vape, um, sorry, top left. Oilseed vape top right, which you might see a lot in the UK as you're going through, driving through the countryside. Uh, bottom left, you have miscanthus, uh, fast-growing woody-type grasses that produce high yields, uh, potentially great for bioenergy. And bottom right, you've got some kind of facility bringing these together uh, for potential processing. So it's quite a diverse uh, material, each of which could be used to produce bioenergy. A little bit further along the, on the, along the scale, uh, you could take those materials and you could choose biofuels out of them. Biofuels are equally diverse. For example, we have chips, top right there, uh, taking a woody type material and essentially just chipping it, putting it through a chipping machine uh, and then drying it. That's, that's a material that can be used quite extensively for heat and power. Uh, top right, we've got biogases. Uh, it's shown as an anaerobic digestion facility. Uh, within there, there'll be some kind of organic wet biomass material that will be degrading and being processed uh, in, in anaerobic conditions to basically produce biogas which is a good fuel we can produce energy from. Uh, bottom left, uh, these, this is a picture from my colleagues, Aston University. Basically, these jars represent all the different types of oils or biofuels that could be generated from different materials. So depending what process you apply and what material you start with, you could use different grades, different types of fuels that can be put in different types of infrastructure, planes, trucks, whatever it may be. So it's a highly diverse resource. And uh, finally, bottom right, you've got pellets there. Pellets are a major part uh, of interest in the UK. We generate lots of energy at the minute from pellets imported from abroad and also sourced in the UK. So pellets are another key fuel which the UK is highly interested in, again, produced from woody type material. So what is bioenergy? That's basically taking one, one or many of those resources we just talked about and turning it into a form of energy. Uh, believe it or not, around the world, the most abundantly used form of bioenergy is traditional bioenergy, uh, which is the main source of energy from many countries in the developing world, mainly used for cooking and heating, uh, and it is often the only available source of energy. This has the advantage that it's low technology, anyone can do it, anyone can go out and collect some wood and use it to heat a pot. The disadvantage is it's highly inefficient, can produce high levels of pollution, and it's very intense in terms of time required for collecting. Just done a bit of work in this area and if you start to calculate the greenhouse gas emissions of traditional bioenergy processes with the sustainability elements, it's pretty horrific when you add it all up uh, and some of the greenhouse gas values are worse than fossil fuels. So we want to try and minimize the use of traditional bioenergy processes as much as fossil fuels in my opinion. The type of bioenergy that I work on and all my colleagues strive to implement and make better is modern bioenergy. So again, we use a wide range of products uh, to form different types of energy, different types of energy and produce different products. So again, using forest materials, agricultural materials, uh, stuff we've grown, such as short rotation crops, woody crops, organic wastes, normal feedstocks, anything really. Uh, these can all be brought together to produce different types of energy. Uh, and it can be done in a way that is low carbon and renewable. The disadvantage of this is it's sometimes quite hard to make sure it is low carbon and renewable. You need lots of, you need to make sure 
you do things well. You need sustainable supply chains, you need to produce things in a sustainable manner, and you need to advance technologies to make sure that the material is converted to energy in a highly efficient way. So now we know a little bit about what biomass is and what bioenergy is. Uh, one of the most frequent questions that get thrown at people who work in this field is, is it renewable? Is it low carbon? I don't think it is. It's dirty and cold. All those, all those things get thrown at by the energy researchers all the time. So I'm going to try and uh, talk a bit around that and describe and explain why that's not the case and how to improve things. So essentially here on this title page, you've got a picture at the bottom there. It's plainly put in, it's put in this presentation to basically highlight a typical process of what bioenergy system is. So at some point you're going to be developing, growing, mobilizing the resource. Uh, you're going to be putting some energy in to harvest that. You're going to be transporting it. You're going to be taking that raw resource to a central node and you're going to be making pellets from it or gas or chips. You're then going to be transporting it again, potentially. And then you're going to take it to a large power station or a bioenergy plant or down the road, wherever it may be. You're going to make some kind of bioenergy from it. And then eventually, once you've got your bioenergy, there's going to be some processes involved with cleaning up whatever post-combustion material there is, etc. So a bioenergy pathway, give or take, pretty much follows each of these steps. Uh, granted, they're very different depending on where you're getting the resource from, where you're taking it to, type of resource, etc., etc. But essentially, this is the kind of consideration of a pathway that researchers look at. And by adding up the impacts and benefits each of these steps, you can start to determine the overall greenhouse gas impacts or performances of a bioenergy pathway and start to highlight and determine whether bioenergy may be sustainable or not. But the great advantage of bioenergy and the reason why it's so highly sought after by many countries, including the UK, is its flexibility. Uh, this looks like a very complicated diagram, but it's, it's really not. I'm going to explain to you. So if you look on the far left, we've got all different types of feedstocks. Uh, everything we've just talked about. So everything from waste to woody material to crops and all types. And on the far right, you've got products and energy. So essentially, by applying different conversion technologies, different chemical processes, chemical engineering steps, it's possible pretty much uh, to turn any type of biomass material into a form of energy you want or a product you want. So bioenergy is amazing in terms of its flexibility. It can provide you with the energy you need simply by picking the right route and the right technologies to be able to get you there. And in the middle of that, you've got the option as well to potentially capture carbon. Uh, I'm not gonna talk very much about BEX today in carbon capture and storage, but that's also another option which is being looked at quite a lot. Uh, this actual picture, uh, basically describes some of the projects of the six case studies represented. Those are the, the projects that Supergen Bioenergy Hub are currently analysing. As in, these are the different routes that we deem to be quite attractive, important for the UK. So we're currently focusing our research at the minute on these processes. So of these six, uh, I believe two or three of them actually end up with transport fuels because we think transport fuels are going to be a, a good thing, something we really need in the future. So on. Um, Case study two, which is the light green color, but basically it's our biorefinery process. So we're going to take some kind of energy crops, use some ionic liquids to break those down, apply some fermentation and catalysis methods, uh, and essentially end up with some advanced transport fuels and advanced fuels that could be used for transport. That's case study two. Uh, case study three is basically our first transport from waste, transport fuel from waste pathway. So again, we're going to take municipal solid wastes. We're going to add some kind of gasification process to that. Uh, and through gasifying those wastes, we're going to produce a syngas, which can then be, however you want to use it, it can be used to make a jet fuel, uh, or it can be used to make a gaseous transfer fuel. So it's a very flexible option there. And our final case study, number four, which looks at transfer fuels, is the light gray one. Again, we're going to look at um, MSW uh, wastes. Uh, we're going to use fast pyrolysis, basically adding lots of heat, really hot, hot conditions for short periods of time to basically burn off a fast pyrolysis oil. That pyrolysis oil or bio oil may be then blended with traditional, traditional fossil fuels to produce a, um, a transport fuel with lower carbon emissions because it has that proportion of biofuel added to it. So basically this is what Supergen are looking at in a minute. Of the six case studies, three of them are highly focused on transport fuels, so we think it's quite important. The take home message from the slide is flexibility that bioenergy offers uh, and as I said well 
this is highly attractive to different countries because producing gas gases, producing liquids, this is all aligned with our existing infrastructure. So our existing infrastructure is not too far away from what would be required in the future where we use biofuels, decarbonised transports and other sectors. The other big question that's always always comes to bioenergy, which I mentioned before, is is it a low, low carbon and is it a sustainable option? And I think an advantage of bioenergy is if you do it right, it can deliver low carbon sustainable energy. I mentioned this already, but CO2 is removed from the atmosphere during the, the plant growth and converted to hydrocarbons, i.e. biomass. Uh, so that CO2 is locked up in that biomass material. Burning of the hydrocarbons releases that energy, releases energy, and also converts the CO2 back to the atmosphere. But in, 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 in basic calculation terms, the amount of CO2 that's released during the combustion of the biofuel is equivalent to that move during growth. Problems only occur when you do bad things and silly things and unsustainable things along the way, producing the biomass, transporting it, etc., etc. So through the sustainable production and sourcing the biomass, efficient use of technologies, bioenergy can deliver lower GHG emissions than fossil fuels. I didn't want to dwell on that too much because we've got a great site, a great source here, Supergen a few years ago, you might have already seen this, produced a comic book called Bioenergy, a graphic introduction. And there's great, loads of great pictures uh, and loads of great explanations explaining everything you need to know about bioenergy, including the carbon balances and is it sustainable or not. Basically, some Supergen researchers got together in a room with some comic book cartoon developers and they built a comic book. And it's been really popular and I think they've literally given out thousands and thousands of copies, physical copies, as well as it's free to download online. So if you want to know more about bioenergy from a carbon perspective, please download that and have a look. Uh, much of the work I do, or have done at the Tyndall Centre and the Supergen over the last few years, is life cycle assessment. So that is taking that uh, supply chain from growing materials to transporting them to converting them to energy and working out what is the overall carbon performance or GHG performance of that pathway. And how does that compare to fossil fuels? Uh, and I've added this diagram here just to provide example of the types of work that we do and the results we generate. This graph here is actually a piece of work we did a few years ago with the Department for Energy and Climate Change, where we're investigating how could we take UK balanced resources, how can we generate heat from it, uh, and through applying different technologies, different approaches, will it generate heat for the UK, which has a less carbon intensity than fossil fuels? So essentially all these dots represent different scenarios for this particular, we had over 2000 scenarios, with many, many different types of feedstock, many different types of technology, this is just ones for the miscanthus in the UK, uh, producing heat. So anything below that purple dashed line, which you can see, that's basically the equivalent value for generating heat in the UK from natural gas. So anything below that basically means we can generate heat with lower carbon intensity to fossil fuels. Uh, the red dotted line was the aspired UK target for generating heat, as in the UK wants to generate heat below this red dotted line. Uh, to meet the sustainability benchmarking level. So of these particular scenarios, we demonstrated that yes, pretty much we can be better than natural gas, but we're gonna to have to do some very specific things uh, if we want to be as low enough to meet the UK's criteria for low carbon heat generation. Uh, so this is the type of work we do a lot of in the Tinnell Centre and Supergen, uh, analyzing supply chains and uh, whole processes of bioenergy pathways and ensuring that they deliver uh, good good performance levels in terms of GHGs. And the secret is uh, to highlight, to dig into each of those points and to work out why is a value higher. Why is, for example, are the little triangle, orange triangles on this diagram at the top of the pile on each occasion? So the idea is to identify specific processes, specific activities that are particularly bad from a GHG perspective and to basically limit or minimize them. Uh, from our processes, develop policies to say, okay, you can no longer source biomass from this type of process, or you can no longer use this sort of transportation mechanism. And by doing that, uh, you overall drive down, in my opinion, the greenhouse gas performances of bioenergy. And likewise, where you have scenarios where there's particularly great performances, uh, low performances such as the little black dots there, uh, from memory, the black dots of this diagram demonstrate where there has been no heating added to the process. So 
the miscanthus was turned to chips or pellets or whatever it may be, and where those pellets are air dried and there's no active energy being put in, then there's obviously a good carbon benefit compared to if you used bioenergy, solar, or diesel, other, other types of energy to, to, to dry them. Another area of interest which we get quite a lot of questions about to do with bioenergy is accounting frameworks. So basically bioenergy is really complicated in some cases because materials may be grown in another country, for example Canada, uh, and they may, be, they may be taken to the UK where they're eventually converted to energy. From an emissions accounting point of view, this gets very complicated because emission inventories in, let's say, Canada uh, account for things, and emission inventories in the UK will account for things too. Ideally, adding up the emissions overall is what needs to be done, uh, and broadly, that is what the uh, UNFCCC's emission accounting framework allows us to do. But it's a complicated issue which we get lots of questions about, and it does make sense if you dig deep in the te technical reports, which I don't recommend because they're very complicated. But to simplify that, Supergen have produced a policy brief, which we're due to launch in a couple of weeks, to basically allow you to understand and to explain how bioenergy emissions are accounted across borders uh, and how they're accounted within national GHG inventories and how indeed bioenergy can be used to decarbonize both different sectors, not just energy, also agricultural waste sectors, etc. Uh, and accounts be accounted. So look out for that in a couple of weeks if you're interested in emission accounting frameworks and how those interact with bioenergy. Bioenergy sustainability. This is, a, this is an area of research that my group has done quite a lot of research in and it's something I'm looking at quite a lot now in my current project. Uh, essentially, if you ask the question, do you think bioenergy is sustainable to someone, uh, they, they shouldn't be able to give you a right answer of yes or no, because the with everything to do with bioenergy, nothing is black and white. There's many, many shades of gray or shades of green. Uh, when it comes to sustainability, sustainability is measured according to things such as sustainability indicators. Uh, sustainability indicators cover all sorts of things. You can go to Google now and type in sustainability indicators of bioenergy, and there'll be a humongous list of different things that come up that people have worked on. So on the screen here, it's just a couple of the prominent ones. They range from bio, how does bioenergy impact soil quality? How does it impact water quality? How does it change the income of the local community? Does it develop jobs and skills? Does it add gross value added? As it does, does it produce products that, that provide money? How does it impact food systems, the ability to grow food and food security? So there are reams and reams of sustainability indicators that people look at. Um, and the secret is that sustainability, you will never find a bioenergy pathway that ticks all the boxes. It's a, it's a, it's a process of trade-offs. Uh, from the graph on the right, the radar graph is from Paul Gilbert and Patricia Thorney developed it a few years ago, for a particular uh, bioenergy case study. And they had over 30 sustainability indicators they looked at. And as you can see from that, in some, some indicators, their particular pathway performs very, very well, and other ones not so well what's at all. So it's a case of a balance of sustainability is whatever perspective you're looking at it from. Uh, but the way we're looking at it in the minute is we look, we could list along the sustainability indicators. Uh, we've gone through a process of highlighting from the UK's perspective, which of these are most important. For example, at the top of the list, you put life cycle emissions, ensuring that the carbon performance or GHG emissions from your pathway are low. As in that would be pretty high on a list of priorities of what you want a sustainable bioenergy pathway to be. So by prioritizing different indicators, uh, you, you, you are able to provide a kind of framework to compare one pathway to another. So if you pick three or four indicators, such as GHGs, impact on water, etc., you can start to develop a process where you compare one bioenergy system to another, and you can start to benchmark them. Uh, if you look at all the sustainability indicators, I guarantee you won't find a bioenergy pathway that ticks all the boxes. There's trade-offs, impacts and benefits. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a minefield, but it's something that a lot of research has been put into and things have come a long way. I thought I'd add this slide in it uh, towards the end of this section because uh, bioenergy is basically being pursued because of its climate change, because of climate change targets, and because the UK and many countries want to develop their bioeconomies. 
I thought I'd quote these quotes from the CCC, Committee on Climate Change, because everyone seems to, or most people, respect what they say, and uh, people regard them as quite independent. So uh, the CCC, a couple of years ago, wrote a report called Biomass and a Low-Carbon Bioeconomy for the UK. So basically, they, they asked the questions, what is biomass? Why, why is it important? When is biomass low-carbon? When is it sustainable? Sustainability governance issues and the issues around imported biomass to the UK. Uh, future sustainable supply and what is the role of biomass in meeting the UK's carbon targets. So some of the main themes which are covering in the presentation today. So they've got a nice report that summarises these. Uh, I thought I'd put these quotes in because they kind of summarise my thoughts as well. They back up what I think about energy. So they think biomass can be produced and used in ways that are both low carbon and sustainable. I agree with that. Biomass can make significant contributions to tackling climate change. I agree with that. Biomass and bioenergy can be used to decarbonize all sorts of sectors. Uh, for the transport sector, it can be used to produce all types of fuels, transport fuels to four different modes of transport. Um, but the final point is there are risks that biomass production and use could in circumstances be worse than the, for the climate and the fossil fuels. And that's also important uh, because if things are done badly, if things are grown unsustainably, if land use change occurs or indirect land use change or inefficient materials or processes are applied, then there is risks that everything will go wrong, which means that bioenergy needs to be done in a careful, considered, sustainable way. Okay, moving on to the UK, to bioenergy in the UK. I thought I'd start with this graph here, or this diagram. I should take from work from Patricia Thornley. So basically to highlight that in the UK, we are currently producing heat, electricity, chemicals, and transport fuels from different from bioenergy. We're using thermal, chemical, and biological convergent processes, and all sorts of bits of kit. And we have lots of research know-how. So basically the UK is pursuing the whole suite of bioenergy technologies. We've got a lot going on in it. We're trying to use bioenergy to cover all the bases. We're pushing all fronts and we're quite good at it in some, some cases and not good at it in other cases. So the UK is doing a lot for bioenergy. In terms of its current contribution uh, from the data from a few years ago or from the Dukes reports a few years ago, bioenergy is the largest renewable energy technology in the UK, something that people don't tend to recognise. Uh, so of all the renewable electricity which is generated in the UK, 31% give or take is from bioenergy. 83% of all renewable heat uh, is generated from bioenergy. And of all transport energy, 5% is currently from biofuels, bioethanol and biodiesel being the main sources of that. So bioenergy is the leading renewable energy technology. And it's also the government has strong ambitions to increase bioenergy as part of the industrial strategy and also to meet each of its climate change commitments. So bioenergy is, the, is, is up there, it's important, Bit, but the government wants it to be even more important, really want to push that. So the questions arise about what does that actually mean for us researchers and how to implement those ambitions. I conclude this graph or this table quite a few times to basically summarise how I think things are going to evolve in the future. So the bioenergy sector can neatly be, or vaguely be, split up into people that work on heat, people that work on power, people work on biofuels although there's lots of crossovers between those obviously so for heat in the near term it's expected to be a gradual focusing on uh, generating more heat uh, going forward uh, so in and uh, in time maybe in the midterm to long term there might be a gradual decline in the focus on bioenergy for heat as other technologies emerge although bioheat is, is expected to play a specialist role in some sectors such as certain industries the important thing for resources is the heat sector overwhelmingly in the minute require woody type materials and that's expected, the demand for that's expected to grow. In the longer term, wood-based materials also is expected to continue, but there's expected maybe to be emergence of other technologies, potential heat networks, potential biogas grids. Uh, so heat's on the agenda and it's gonna, the resource demands of heat are gonna increase. And depending on what the technologies emerge, they may or may not tail off in the longer term. Biopower is a slightly different story. There's been a massive increase in demand for biopower from a resource perspective. The conversion of large power plants, such as Drax, which is the famous one, um, to allow co-firing with biomass and then dedicated biomass 
the demand for resources for biopower has increased exponentially uh, in the near term and mid term. And if we go into the longer term, there's some question marks about how much biopower will contribute as other renewable technologies come online. Uh, and also, also, so the demands of that may also evolve, and there's lots of question marks about that. But having said that, if there is successful deployment of X technologies and biopower particularly, uh, who knows, the, the increase in demand for resources of biopower could continue to rise depending on deployments of that. Those resources very much being solid biomass resources, wood, animal-based fuels, plant-based fuels, waste, etc. And finally, biofuel sector. There has been a sharp and or gradual increase in the demand for resources for biofuels driven by the UK's uh, requirements and uh, targets for, uh, for, for decarbonisation, focusing on biofuels. So energy crops have been much in demand uh, to, to balance those, those targets and that's expected to increase into the future. In the mid to long term, uh, there's uncertainty about how biofuels will contribute to the, the wider fleets, fleets as other technologies may emerge. But there is a growing consensus that aviation and shipping are going to be key targets for the biofuel sector. So how energy crops were the key targets initially, uh, energy crops are expected to continue being sought after by the biofuel sector. But we believe that wastes and other woody type materials are going to be slowly creeping into demand. So what we have here overall is a picture of there's lots going on in terms of bioenergy. There's lots of resource demands there. Overall, the, the demand for resources has increased exponentially and it's probably going to continue increasing, although there may be tail-offs in certain parts of the sectors depending on the emergence of the technologies. So if we want to enable this future sector, um, what, what would we have to do and what are the possibilities? So to so summarize basically what I just said, a growing UK bioenergy sector will require increasing levels of biomass feedstocks. There's likely to be competition for resource, both within the bioenergy sector itself and with wider sectors. And as we require international resources, there's maybe going to be competition internationally. The bioenergy sector will also have to adapt to future technologies, in my opinion. Uh, and it's important that each step and every process to prioritize sustainability and carbon performances. In terms of the future role of bioenergy, these, these numbers here are from our paper we, produced, we wrote a few years ago. I'm going to delve into them a little bit further in the following slides. But of our, of our case studies and modelling, we believe that bioenergy could, in theory, as in UK, bioenergy from UK resources could deliver 45% of UK energy demand if so desired. As in that's really, really pushing the vote out. But this is kind of putting a mark on the sun saying the UK has opportunities from its own resources that it could aspire to if we develop the right policy framework to get that. So we think 10% electricity could, in theory, be delivered by the UK biomass and bioenergy, 50% of the heat and 20% of liquids, that's covering aviation, shipping, heavy duty and, and mobile plants. So we think bioenergy, biofuels are the way forward and there's going to be lots of increasing demand for resources and lots of work to be done to ensure the sustainability and carbon performances. So this is pretty much what I do a lot of my time. So I look into how much biomass can the UK produce and how much what forms of bioenergy can that resource generate. Uh, and it's a, it's a common question. It's a common question. Everyone's asking the question. We get, get questions all the time of how much resources in the UK, how much is there available for transport fuels, how much is there available for heat, etc., etc. And this graph here, basically we did a, a piece of work relatively recently looking at how models are informing our knowledge base in terms of resources. So all I wanted to take a message from this, this graph is over the last few years, there's been an exponential growth in the number of research papers that have used modeling. And many of these models are asking questions such as how can we maximize our bioenergy potential? What are the limits? What are the sustainability implications? Everyone's working exponentially, I think in this area, asking these questions and trying to meet the the, the uh, challenge set by government. Uh, so as there are lots and lots of papers trying to analyze how much resource there is, uh, if, you, if you read them, which I read a lot of them, uh, you, there are some trends that emerge. So here's some forecast ranges of what available resources there may be in the UK. And the overwhelmingly, everyone says that there's gonna be waste materials available. There's potential resources available from waste, wood and industry. There may be resources available from forestry. 
and agricultural residues and agricultural wastes are commonly highlighted as being potential large sources of biomass for the bioenergy sector. But as you can see from some of these, the ranges of these graphs, especially for the light blue uh, waste bar, the range is absolutely massive, which means some people think that, yeah, there will be some resources available. Other people think there'll be masses of resources available. This is something that infuriates policymakers particularly because they want to know how much resource can they put their finger on? How, how can they plan for the future? And how can they do that when there's such large ranges? This is something where policy people are currently asking questions to try and answer these, to try and narrow these, these ranges. Uh, this graph here, the, the category of resource I haven't talked about in the previous graph, is basically stuff we can grow. So there's also a lot of work goes on looking at the UK's food system, looking at our land, looking at how much land we require to feed ourselves, how much land could be used to produce crops such as miscanthus, energy crops, oil crops, etc. Uh, so this particular graph is taken from the work we did a few years ago. So we thought of available suitable agricultural lands that in say 2013, we thought maybe 40% of lands could be available. And then from that, you can develop scenarios. For example, of that 40% land that's available, if we were to plant 6% of it with miscanthus, you could start to do calculations and analysis of how much resource that would generate for the UK. The problem with this sort of analysis, the fitting models like the one we have in Manchester, and then there's reality, as in getting 6% of available landowners and farmers to produce a biomass resource is no easy feat. Uh, there's a disconnect. So I think there's a, there's a problem there. The government needs to work out if they are going to pursue energy crops or grown biomass resources in the UK, how are they going to actually utilise the land that we, we think may be available to grow it, how they can incentivize the production of resources. So it's an interesting area topic which often comes up. I put in this graph here basically to explain the variability. In the two slides ago, we had those large ranges, and the reason why there's large ranges and the reason why it infuriates policymakers who want a single answer is that different models use different approaches and they're not comparable more often than not. They have different scopes of analysis, they focus on different regions or different scales uh, they have different modeling approaches for example they analyze the theoretical potential biomass potential the technical potential the sustainability potential or the actual potential that could in theory be mobilized or harvested and when you look at the supply chains there's all sorts of dynamics and all sorts of assumptions such as the amount of food waste that is generated the amount of forestry products or forestry residues that may be generated and the amount that may be collected all sorts of assumptions and the models all have their own take and what those may be and if you add all these up together you end up with forecasts with wide ranges as we have so this is something that we're trying to work on at the minute to try and uh, try and work out which models are best or which model what models are best at saying different things having said that we have our own model at manchester which i'm sure has its own pluses and flaws so our biomass resource model center looks at the uk and looks at food systems versus biomass, looks at industry and the opportunities of resources and producers, looks at different land. So basically we take a snapshot of the UK and we're trying to work out how much biomass may be produced by the land, by different industries, by people, by waste, etc. We try and develop an itinerary of the resources available in the UK and take it a step further and say of the resources, how much bioenergy could we generate. So the next couple of slides are basically outputs from this particular model we've developed. So I know this is a couple of years old, but I thought I'd add it on here anyway, because it, it nicely aligns with the story. So a few years ago, we developed this, this analysis. At the top there, we had some projections of energy in the UK. The black lines are primary energy in the UK. And each of the colour lines at the bottom is if we were to mobilise UK biomass resource, how much energy could we generate and how would that match up against the UK's total energy demand? So all those colour lines, the first thing that springs to mind is we get nowhere near being 100%, as in the UK can never develop, generate all its energy from bioenergy, but we didn't expect that anyway. Uh, the different colour lines are different scenarios. For example, the red ones were really pushing the boat out. If the UK was pushed the boat out, how much energy could we generate? We had other more conservative scenarios, such as conservation scenario, economic scenario, uh, each analysing how much resource could we, could we generate and how, what, the, what is the role that bioenergy could play. Uh, a takeaway message is that UK could, in theory, 
can definitely has room to move, but it can generate more. Uh, and for, at the minute, we're following the trajectory pretty much at the bottom of that blue green line. Uh, so there is a there is scope there for increasing what we do if we wanted. This one here is uh, is in the same kind of themes. At the black line at the top, we did analysis of how much resource is available uh, and what's the demand. What's basically what's the demand of the UK? The black line at the top. It goes straight around the 2015 point because it keeps on going up and up and up, and it, it looks it looks scary. And each of the color color lines basically represent our scenarios. So whichever way you twist it. If we were to mobilise as much biomass resource as possible in the UK, there's a huge deficit between the coloured lines and the black line of what the UK needs to balance its biomass demands and what the UK has. So that means we're going to have to be reliant, but we are reliant on the international trade markets. Uh, as far as they go, there's some major trade routes or resource flows. So wood pellets, wood materials, it's imported from North America, increasingly from the Baltic and further east. Biodiesel is largely produced Southeast Asia, Argentina, and the USA. Lots of trade flows come to Europe. Bioethanol, Brazil is the king in terms of producing sugarcane, bioethanol, and the feedstocks, which exports both uh, to the US, the Far East, and also to Europe. The take home message is there are, are lots of major tr trade flows developing for biomass resources. Many of them are headed to the UK, the strongest in the UK. That's great. The UK is right in the, in the middle of that, headed to Europe. So uh, the UK can take advantage of these major trade flows. Having said that, some of our biggest competitors for that resource are on our doorstep. Uh, and who's to say that these major trade flows will continue uh, in the future like this as, as the world develops? So I thought I'd bring it right back full circle. The work I do is looking at UK biomass resources. So without going into much detail here, uh, I, I see the problems with potentially relying heavily on imported resources. So I like to identify resources we have at home and finding opportunities to use them better. So without going into much detail on this graph, uh, the UK has lots of food and organic wastes potentially that we don't use as much as we could. The agricultural sector is a great source of resources which we, I think we could use better. Uh, things such as straws, things such as animal wastes. Uh, and we also got land, which I think we could use better to produce drone materials, whether that's to produce biofuels or to produce woody material for heat. So I think we have opportunities in the UK which we should be making better advantages out of. So I'm going to, in the final part of the presentation, I'm going to focus, bring it back to biofuels and how they are being used to decarbonize transports. Uh, the pretty flow diagram here is, is again one of our super gem case studies and the third case study demonstrating what we're looking at so waste gasification uh, and then we use fancy process to use a gaseous fuel or liquid fuel which can be used in different modes of transport so that's a nice holding picture there of what we're doing so how is we how are we going to decarbonize transport through biofuels uh, as i've mentioned previously biofuel targets have play an increasing role in decarbonizing transports there's a steadily increasing contribution of blended fuels and long-term strategically, uh, there's targets for heavy goods, aviation, shipping. So biofuels are gonna be on the agenda for quite a long time in terms of decarbonizing our different types of transports. Well, having said that, in the near term, uh, much of our, our focus in the UK is still on, I think, on heat and power, where we're looking at device, diverse range of feedstocks, looking at issues such as the pollutants from those, the byproducts, the ecosystem circuit, services and the circular economy. But I think in the near term, we're kind of trying to push on all fronts with heat and power still being quite prominent. But beyond that, when we get to the medium long term, 2030, 40, 50, I think biofuels are gonna rocket up the agenda. There are gonna be much more things that we focus on. So the medium term, bioethanol, biodiesel, and biokerosene, we're gonna be focusing on those much more, looking at steps such as catalysis, different fancy pre-treatment processes, and being able to increase the biofuel yields that these generate. In the longer term, uh, biogas, biogas networks may be something that emerges. Negative emissions are going to increasingly through the whole timeline be raising in importance. Flex technologies are going to be there. They're going to be linking around as soon as someone demonstrates that it works or it can work at an affordable, sustainable scale. I think that's going to be there in a big way. So I think in the future, long term, we're going to be looking at gasification, anaerobic digestion, hydrogen and carbon capture as things that are high on the agenda for decarbonizing transport in the UK generally. 
In terms of policy backdrop, uh, many of you may know, but the, in the UK, the Renewable Transport Fuel uh, Obligation, RTFO, is the UK's leading policy mechanism for driving the transition towards biofuels and um, well, generally for decarbonisation. So the RTFO has many targets and requirements that are shaping the future growth of the UK biofuel industry. Specifically, there are requirements around feedstock sustainability, uh, such as indirect land use change or land use change and trying to avoid those. There's GHG emission performance requirements. Uh, there's also restrictions, which are quite interesting, on, this, on restricting specific feedstocks. For example, much of the current, uh, to date, much of our, our biofuel generation has been from um, energy crops or crops that are from land that could otherwise be used as food, which is a controversial issue. So there's been, RTFO is gonna start focusing ramping up requirements for using um, non-crop-based feedstocks. So in terms of adding the ambitions of RTFO and the trajectory it's going in, uh, so it expects the levels will increase gradually over the timelines 2032. Development fuels, currently pretty low. We don't produce much of those. We expected that those will play a much larger part, proportion up to 2.8% by 2032. Uh, as I said, the feeds, biofuel feedstock cap, it's quite an interesting aspect where lots of research are now focusing on. So at the minute, four, there's a cap of 4% uh, of what feedstocks can and can't be used to produce biofuels. And that's going to be steadily reduced over time frame. Uh, as we look at other, other, types, other types of feedstocks. And finally, aviation advanced fuels. So I think I've mentioned this a few times, aviation is rapidly becoming sharp in focus as something that the bioenergy sector is looking at, so how to produce fuels to try and decarbonize. And again, shipping, well, not on there, but it should be. Did a bit of work with, with there being a cap on um, crop-based feedstocks for biofuels. We did a bit of work a couple of years ago, uh, along with I did some with some colleagues at Aston University and the University of Cranfield. Basically, we looked at wastes in the UK. Everyone's went through a phase of looking, saying wastes are going to be the answer. We're going to use UK waste to produce biofuels. So essentially, we look, a part of the work we did. We did. Stepping back, we did our, our work demonstrated that the UK could successfully generate all sorts of biofuels from wastes and they could be affordable and they, could be, they had great technoeconomic performance levels, etc. etc. The work I did was looking at the resources uh, as if there's not enough resource and not enough waste resource, then there's no point developing a sector around it. Uh, so, this is a snapshot of one of the graphs from that piece of work. So, the big pink triangle basically, we thought that the UK waste resource would be somewhere in this space going forward. And the amount of that resource that may be available for a biofuel sector will be the blue at the bottom there. And however, where you cut it, uh, the amount of resource or waste resource that may be available for biofuels over time will diminish. And that's a complicated calculation of all the laws of the land around wastes. So some of them are listed in the blue box on the right. Uh, so however you cut it, the UK has a waste hierarchy where we want to reduce waste when we recycle waste. And right at the bottom, just above landfill, is energy recovery from wastes. So, so one of our messages to the Department for Transport from this piece of work was basically, there are wastes out there. If you want to, for example, develop a sector around uh, bio-kerosene for jet fuel from waste, you're going to have to tweak your priorities. You're going to have to prioritise certain waste streams for this and see see biofuel production as a valuable option, something you want to do strategically rather than always prioritizing other elements of the waste hierarchy first. So there is some interesting work I think still to be done in the world of waste and residues. There are opportunities for the biofuel sector, uh, but again, we need, to, we need to get to the bottom of it, what's going on. So essentially, the challenges for biofuels, for decarbon transport is, while the biofuels need to be secure, resilient, flexible, low carbon and economic, those are no-brainers, I think. Uh, but we need to have rapid development of the biofuel sector and we need to develop the feedstock supply chains required to make sure they're sustainable to be able to deliver that. There will be likely be rises, significant rises in demand for both crop and non-crop feedstocks. And it's unclear how much biofuel resources will be available specifically for the biofuel sector. As I said, there'll be competition from Intra competition with bio, other biofuel sectors from wider sectors and internationally. It's okay what characteristics these resources will have. 
and also what infrastructural climate still needs. Are we going to go in a pathway where we're going to use existing infrastructure, gases, liquids, or are we going to have to develop something new? Uh, what is the best use of different resources? Uh, and, and the ultimate question is, can biofuels, if we develop, go out full out of biofuels, can they be used to deliver net zero emissions? Uh, can BEX have a role in the biofuel sector of transport? I think this is my final slide, so it's going to summarise a few things. So how does it see it? The challenges are UK has carbon targets and is heavily committed to bioenergy as a mechanism for achieving many of those. Uh, the UK, the global demand for biomass resources is rapidly increasing and the UK is currently reliant on imported resources and that we're still headed on that trajectory. Any large-scale production mobilisation of biomass has to be done sustainably and there are risks of sustainability and carbon to overcome which means that there needs to be great government frameworks to assess these uh, to ensure performances are achieved. And I think bioenergy, the UK bioenergy needs to be flexible to allow the emergence of new technologies. So we need to be careful about choices about plant deployment. Although having said that, we need to, we need to make some bold decisions and start pushing in certain directions if we're going to get there to meet our carbon targets. The opportunities for the UK for biofuels and decarbonisation is we demonstrate in much of our research at Tyndall Centre and Supergen that bioenergy can provide a low carbon sustainable renewable energy option. Bioenergy is and can be used to transition sectors towards decarbonisation. Biofuels can be the solution to decarbonise strategic transport sectors, particularly as I keep on going on about aviation, shipping, and haulage. Uh, the UK biomass resource, there are UK biomass resource opportunities. Many papers find many much research finds, so including our, our own, but there are opportunities from wastes, agricultural residues, and stuff we grow. And so the UK has resources out there, resources out there that could be used more. And finally, the UK has global leading expertise in bioenergy technologies and systems. So we have a network and framework of people out there who are willing to help, willing to get things across the line. Uh, we just need to push harder, I guess. So I think that's my presentation for today. So thank you for listening. If you have any questions,